God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognise his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com What does prophecy look like in the contemporary church? How do we handle the reality that we can get it wrong when we try to hear God's voice? And what could God possibly be saying to a young woman when he gives her a vision of a yellow peacock? Today I'm excited to be talking to Professor Mark Cartledge, a British scholar who pioneered his work in the field of practical theology by looking at how contemporary prophecy functions in the Church of England. Hi, and welcome to episode 34 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of God Conversations, a ministry that equips people to recognise and respond to God's voice. Well, welcome today. It's great to have you on the show. I especially want to welcome any newcomers that are listening. I've just returned home from a fantastic ministry trip in Germany, mostly East Germany. So if there are any Germans out there listening to my Australian accent, I did attempt a few German phrases while I was overseas, but I'm I'm afraid that all those glottal sounds are too difficult for an Aussie like me. But I want to welcome you, especially today. You know, we're very privileged to have a guest on the show today, Professor Mark Cartledge. And you may not have heard his name before unless you've been involved in higher education. But if you are, you'll know that he's very well known across the planet for his work in the field of practical theology. In fact, I first met Mark in the pages of a journal article some 15 to 20 years ago. I can still remember it when I was completing my master's study at Bible College. So it was a wonderful privilege to actually meet him face to face and his gorgeous wife, Joan, when I was attending the Harvest Bible College Research Conference in Melbourne, Australia, as part of my doctoral studies. And the thing I love about Mark the most is not only that he's a very intelligent man, but he's also a practitioner and he's been involved in the local church for over 25 years. So he has some great insights to give us about this area, but he's also seen what it looks like on the ground. He's a worship leader, he's a preacher, and he's as well as being a theologian and a lecturer. It's a winning combination. He's also a great person to be around and has a very bubbly wife called Joan who has a big heart for social justice. Both are now living and working in the US and Mark was visiting Australia for the first time as the keynote speaker of the research conference when I had a chance to talk to him. So a huge Australian welcome to Professor Mark Cartledge. It's fantastic to have you on the show, Mark. How are you enjoying our country? Uh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. It's great. Uh, I've only been here a week or so, but it feels more like Britain than America, where I'm living at the minute. And um, 
it's been great. We've been watching some t- uh, when the Olympics uh, was on. I, we were watching um, some Olympic sport and uh, getting um, an Australian view of things, which yes. was interesting. That would have been interesting um, compared to an American take on the Olympics. Yeah. What did they say? Well, how, they, how is it different? They tend to focus on their own athletes. Yes. So if there's American in- interest, <laughs> then they'll focus on that. Whereas yeah. I, you know. We're interested in all athletes, really, and, and sometimes the Amer- I mean the Americans have done so well, of course, as usual. Mm. But it's also nice to, from my point of view, to uh, you know to focus on people like Mo Farah and yeah. and the British athletes who are also doing very well. So they have done really well this Olympics, haven't they? They came, showed us up. Came second. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but I didn't yeah. mean to put that one. Yeah, I know. This I know. You wanted to put that. We might edit that part out, Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> so, Mark, you've been here in Australia, and one of the things you've been doing is speaking at a research conference. Yeah. You are a practical theologian. What does that mean in short for the people who don't understand the world of academia and theology? Yeah, it means that I'm interested in in church in the everyday. I'm interested in how how it all works out. It's not just abstract ideas that are floating up there in some ivory tower. I'm really interested in how people go about practising their faith and whether through reflection and consideration we might improve those practices, uh, do things better, do things more authentically. So that's really what I'm, I'm interested in. Which is, well, where I live too. I first met Mark in the pages of a book. He's one of the first um, books I read for my doctorate. And interestingly, Mark pioneered a lot of work in the whole area of hearing God's voice, particularly through the vehicle of prophecy. But, Mark, you told us a story um, yesterday in the conference about the the yellow peacock story. And I thought we might kick off with that one because it's such a good story. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, this is a fun story. So uh, I'm married to Joan and we have one daughter called... Called, uh, Rebecca or Becky as she's uh, known and um, over the years we used to attend um, New Wine uh, which is a Christian camp in in the UK in Shepton Mallet it's a charismatic Christian camp and uh, we, we attended for years and, and Becky would grow up through the various groups uh, as a child on into the teenage years until she reached the age of 16 and when she could help out and be on team mm-hmm. and so she was uh, on team one year and praying for another 14 year old uh, girl and they were praying together and, and Becky in her mind's eye uh, received a picture and it was the picture of a yellow peacock so she thought it was a bit weird uh, these things happen yeah I've never seen one a yellow peacock do they have yellow <laughs> peacocks in pe- Britain <laughs> that's right so she she had this picture in her mind's eye and, and, and she said to, to the girl look this may sound a bit weird but um does the word, you know, does the picture of a yellow peacock mean anything to you? And this uh, young girl, I think if she was American, she would have said, shut up. <laughs> but I'm not sure <laughs> what she said. Shut up, I need to say, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> or something like that. And uh, so she said, uh, you don't realise this actually is my password. It's my password for everything, whether it's my That's computer amazing. or my Facebook or, or whatever it is, it, it's my password. I was thinking it's brave of Becky to actually make that statement if I honestly if I saw a picture of a yellow peacock I'd yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, let's go back and try that again. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, does this work? Is this just my imagination? Yeah. Or, or is the Holy Spirit trying to, to say something here? And so uh, the two of them began to think about it and pray about it together. And, you know, you can receive a picture, uh, but the question is not what the picture is, but what does it mean mm. in the context of praying for someone? Mm. So in that context, they had this conversation and the sense of the meaning of the picture was that God already had access 
to every area of this young woman's life. Mm. But um, even though he already had access, because of the relationship, um, he was asking her to kind of give permission as well. Yeah. So that it becoming a relational thing. Isn't that profound? So, and the fact that he knows everything about us, including our passwords. Scary. When they're yellow peacocks, it's, it's amazing. What about you, Mark? You've um, done lots of studies in in prophecy and in prophetic revelation. How has hearing God's voice shaped your journey? So I come from a fairly traditional evangelical background and then came into a kind of charismatic experience uh, from the age of about 17. But but my early years were very much shaped by uh, the evangelical tradition, which is very much, you know, God speaks to us through the scriptures, mm-hmm. especially the preached scriptures. Mm-hmm. So for me, as I was a young person sitting in the pew listening to a, a very good preacher who's also a wonderful pastor, um, who knew me, but the way in which he would expound scripture and apply scripture um, had a, a prophetic edge to it. Right. Now, he might not have claimed that prophetic edge because he was quite a Calvinist preacher, yeah. um, but there was something going on there that the Holy Spirit was using his words. And sometimes I come away from uh, listening to a sermon and think, wow, that was so for me. You know, I really felt God kind of yeah. touch me. There was something internal going on. Um, but later on, I, I began to experience um, images and words coming to mind. And one of my early experiences was uh, going to a service at a church called St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, which was a, a charismatic Anglican church. It had just been influenced by uh, John Wimber and the Wimber kind of approach to, to prayer for healing. And at the end of the service, um, Bishop David Pitches, who was the pastor of the church, read out a list of uh, ailments that they had received, uh, a kind of word of knowledge list, if you like. And I had tonsillitis uh, and went to church very unwell with a whole bunch of other students, and we're all sat together on the row. Yeah. And um, I was... I was arguing with the Lord. I was kind of having a conversation in my head because uh, I was really feeling unwell. And I was saying, well, you know, I know this is what they do. Um, I would feel embarrassed to go up for prayer. I need a really big nudge here, Lord. You've got to help me out here. Yeah. And so I negotiated with the Lord by saying, look, if um, unless you... Unless you um, Unless you mention the word tonsillitis, I'm not going forward. You know, if it's headaches or it's this or that or the other, then I'm not interested. I'm not going to go forward for prayer. It has to be very specific. So the, the next but last word on the list that was read out was the word tonsillitis. And uh, the whole the whole row of students kind of looked at me at that point. <laughs> it was like, OK, uh, no pressure. And so I went forward for prayer and, and I was healed. So I had an experience of, of healing. So that was actually Isn't quite... Isn't that fantastic when you're hearing God and then that yeah, brings the power with it? That's right, too. but it wasn't it wasn't a word that was spoken through me. It wasn't me having a yellow yeah. peacock image or it wasn't me having the word tensor tonsillitis. It came to me. But that then opens up uh, the whole realm of, well, you know, if God speaks to you so specifically, yeah. maybe there's other ways, you know. So I think in my own prayer life, uh, I uh, then began to ask the question, well, how can you speak to me? I remember I remember going to look at a church job uh, for a curacy in the Church of England. I, I was at college. Because you're an Anglican priest? I'm, I'm an Anglican priest. Yeah. And I was at theological college, and I was I remember going to see uh, a pastor about an associate position, a curacy job, and... Yeah, I really wasn't sure about this job, and there was a whole bunch of reasons why I was unsure about it. But 
the guy asked me to meet him at church so that he could show me around the church and, and then pray for me in the church, and that's uh, why he did that. But as I walked, as I met him on the steps of the church, going as we're going in, it's an old, old church, about 100 years old. Yeah. Um, as I looked at him for the very first time in my life, the words popped into my head, this is the man. And uh, I thought, oh, wow, where did that come from? You yeah. know, that, that's not what I was thinking about. Yeah. It just suddenly came into my head. Yeah. This is the man. So I thought, okay. And I, um, uh, we had a conversation. I, I went around the parish. I met various people. And, um, and then there was something of a delay between, between the visit and the kind of offer. Yeah. And I didn't realise until I got to the parish that... That delay, there was a bit of negotiation, a bit of discussion amongst the, the church leaders about whether I was the best fit, and there was a real question marks. But the vicar was convinced I was the right person. Yeah. And because I was had this word of knowledge, yeah. I was convinced I was meant to be with him. And so I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't look at other churches, I just simply sat on it. Yeah. When I could have done something else, I could have said, OK, then taking too long, let me look at another church. But I just really felt I needed to spend time. So that's another example, I think, of, um, of how um, listening to God, perhaps not even when you're praying, you're just, you're just doing yeah. something and the voice yeah. hits you. I often find that's the easiest time to hear from God when you don't expect it. Yeah. Because when you're waiting for something, you, you get your mind is actively engaged in that yeah. seeking process, which makes, you know, those lots of ideas and thoughts can come into your head, whether they're God or not. Yeah. Uh, interesting too um, that God chose to tell you before all the negotiations and the right. big delay happened, isn't yeah. it? Because then that puts you in a place of what faith? I guess you were believing. Yeah, for it. faith and peace, rather yeah. than kind of fear and anxiety, and and wanting to try to sort the problem out yourself, rather than yeah. allowing God to to do what He yeah. wants to do. One of the biggest challenges in this area is the fear of getting it wrong. Mm. Do you ever feel like you've got it wrong, or perhaps um, God has spoken and it hasn't quite worked out the way you thought it would? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there are examples when, you know, you you receive what you think is a word from the Lord and, and, and it doesn't seem to to be to be right. I, I once had a, uh, people praying for me uh, for a problem with my knee and uh, the word of knowledge was, oh, your, your leg has been broken in the past, hasn't it? And <laughs> he said, well, no, no it hasn't. Yes, I mean, that, that, wrong. that was wrong. Right? <laughs> so there is a sense sometimes you get it wrong or I know, is, you know do you mishear what's going on? I guess there's a bit of a mystery around that. I think we have to be humble in the use of this. So yeah. we can hear God's, God's voice and we can uh, speak to other folk about it, but sometimes... Yeah, I mean, sometimes we're off beam, and sometimes yeah. for whatever reason, it, yeah. it's just it's just wrong, and that raises a bit of mystery around it too, which I'm okay with. I don't, you know, yeah. that's why I think we need to build in practices which seek confirmation in other ways. So it's not you're not just relying on this one thing. Mm. I mean, sometimes you have to, mm. but I also think you know we should seek confirmation in other ways too. Safety in numbers, indeed. Uh, Mark, you were one of the Pioneers, one of the first academics I came across who'd actually done some practical research in this area. So we're just going to go to a quick break now, but afterwards I'm going to ask you um, what are the things you learnt from that theological process that we can practically put into practice in our everyday lives. Okay, great. We'll back, back soon. 
Have you ever heard one of those stories about someone who thought they heard from God, but they actually didn't? Then there's all the damage and fallout that goes with it. We know that God speaks, but how do we know it's His voice we're hearing and not something we made up ourselves? The good news is that Jesus promised His people we'd be able to know His voice and follow it. Just like the Bible characters who've gone before us, we can learn to recognise His voice. The Other Side of the Conversation series is designed to take you step-by-step through the biblical teaching on hearing God's voice, as well as plenty of practical tips that you can apply in the context of your local church. We've worked really hard to create an excellent resource that has been used in churches all around the world and has the potential to change your life. The box set includes a documentary-style DVD with six 15-minute episodes, plus a guidebook for individual or small group use. You can buy it online from Curon Books in Australia, Manor in New Zealand, or at the godconversations.com store. Remember, the ability to hear God's voice is given to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Welcome back to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. We're here with Mark Cartledge, Professor Mark Cartledge, who is an academic from Britain and um, currently working in the US. But Mark, as I said before, you have been um, a leader in this area in terms of you're a practical theologian, which means that you study what's happening on the ground in, in practical ways in churches. And you looked at the topic of prophecy. Was it 20 years ago now? Uh, what, I think what was the it, study yes, it that you're been, involved yeah. in? So I was training for ordination at the time. It would have been um, it would have been around uh, eighty six to eighty nine. I did my field work around um, around eighty seven, eighty eight, and um, I was based in London. I was at a, at a college in London, and so I was uh, interested in asking the question: What does contemporary prophecy in the charismatic renewal movement look like? And because I was working and tr- training for ministry in the, in the Church of England, I decided to look at charismatic. Christians in the Church of England. And so um, uh, I had a supervisor who didn't believe that prophecy <laughs> occurred today. Uh, so that was a bit of a that was a bit really interesting. Yeah, and I had another, another supervisor who thought that charismatics were kind of weird and wacky. Um, it was also weird. And then I had another guy who was helping with my field work who was a kind of more Anglo-Catholic in the Anglo-Catholic traditions, very high church tradition, who was a sociologist and who kept saying to me, I know nothing about theology is especially what you're doing but well, anyway so what I did was I, I did a, a set of interviews uh, in, amongst parishioners in the Diocese of London and what I was really trying to get at because the literature had there was nothing really in yeah. the literature academically about people's experiences and so I wanted to listen to the voices from the pews, the voices from the people, yeah. and ask the question, okay, well, how do people go about it when, when they, you know, listen to God? And I, and, um, I, I found out that actually there's a diverse set of practices. Mm-hmm. Some people talk about uh, Bible verses coming to mind mm-hmm. uh, because of their store knowledge, if you like, their back knowledge of the Bible. Sometimes the Holy Spirit picks a text to speak to them. Uh, some people had visions, mm-hmm. um, and uh, an event was probably played, you know, played out in their own mind's eye. Some people had dreams. Uh, dreams are really important in, in terms of that. And others just just had pieces of information come to them that they thought, well, where did that come from? Yeah. And I remember one person I spoke to, she was a Christian psychiatrist, actually, and she said, I, I just have information 
that I just know. I don't have pictures or words. I just know something. And so when she's in a in a in a uh, counselling situation, you know, in a chronic Christian counselling situation, she's listening to the person's story. And then there'll be just a sense of, I know something about this person, which mm. she then reflects back mm. and asks the question, well, does this mean anything to you? But it, it, yes, it doesn't necessarily hear it. It's not heard. But it, it's, it's, not, it's not imagined. It's received somehow. Yeah, it's not within her imagination. It's just known, which I'd never come across before. So what I discovered was there was a whole range of what I called revelatory experiences. Mm-hmm. And so something was received, and then there was like a second phase, which was, well, how do you, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, to whom should you deliver this message? And there's a bit of discussion around, well, what's the most appropriate way of doing that? And how do you discern the delivery of this message? And uh, there were a different set of practices uh, around that. But uh, on the whole, people, um, some people believe they should, they should live with the word that they received or the message they received and just, and just sit with it, just mm-hmm. carry it for a while. Others felt that if they were in a worship setting, say, they're, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a congregational worship setting and they'd received a word of knowledge, then they also felt a prompting in that context to, 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 to give it out. Mm-hmm. And so you often had this kind of process of receiving, weighing, and then a prompt to deliver, mm. which I thought was fascinating, really, and I hadn't fully appreciated until I began to do that kind of research. How was the research received when it was published? Um, well, I published three pieces from that. It was a Master of Philosophy research degree. Um, the, the literature side was received very well by the Pentecostal Studies community. It was published in the Journal of Pentecostal Theology. The empirical side was published in the Journal of Empirical Theology and um, a very little response, um, not, nothing came back to me. Although years later, I discovered yeah. people like yourself. Yes, yeah, so, I quoted you quite a few times. Yeah, so I, um, <laughs> Who is this Carly? A, the problem with academic research is you write a paper and sometimes you get responses and sometimes it just, it just goes out there. Yeah. People read it, but they don't communicate that to you so you don't know what, what happens. So uh, I guess mixed is the answer. Mm-hmm. A little bit of feedback, but then, you know, some silence as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can understand. Um, but also probably because it was very pioneering too, I think, not just for yeah. the topic but also for the practice of practical right. theology too. You've been a, you've been a priest a, of a church, a yeah. pastor, a minister. Um, from your experience now in this area, which has been many, many years, what kind of advice would you give, what wisdom would you give around this topic for people who are seeking to walk the spirit-filled life or even leaders who are facilitating this for other people? Hmm. I think um, I think there has to be a, a degree of humility in this field. I mean, I don't really believe that people should declare um, revelatory knowledge. Um, there can be an authority that comes through the delivery of it, but I don't think it's an authority that we claim for ourselves. Mm. I think it's an authority that's invested in the delivery because the spirit mm. is doing something upon mm. the delivery. Mm. So I, I, I am really reticent about using words like um, thus says the Lord or, um, you know, the Lord is saying, uh, I tend to deliver it in a much more, um, um, should we say, uh, cautious manner. Yeah. I'll say things like, um, I believe the Lord is saying this. So 
the, the times I tend to, I mean, I, in my prayer times, I will... Particularly think, when it's for someone else. Right, that's right. Because you're the messenger. You're like the postie right. who's come, you know, to the door with a, with a letter. That's right. You have no authority. Yeah, in except, that sense, right? Except that in a congregation, of course, if you're a pastor or a priest mm-hmm. or whatever, then yeah. there's an authority that goes with your that's role. True. And I think that's why I think pastors need to be particularly vigilant uh, in this area that they don't manipulate folk. I mean, yeah. so so humility, uh, almost a kind of self-critical principle that says, "Well, wait a minute, how am I using this? Am I, you know, am I being, am I trying to push an agenda here? Mm. Because there's always it's always a mixed phenomenon. Mm. You know, the Holy Spirit's working through you." But your but is using you, so using your your kind of if you like your mental framework, your imaginative world that the Holy Spirit speaks into. That's the kind of capacity you have to hear from God and to pass it on. So a humility, a, a self awareness, and a, a willing to a willingness to sit with the word that you receive or the message that you receive or the image you receive, and not necessarily deliver it immediately. Yeah. Um, so. I t- the, my practice these days is whenever I preach, um, I will often spend a few hours um, not not simply um, working on my sermon, but also trying to listen to God through worship. Uh, yeah. Two or three hours just worshiping. Yeah, that's similar to what I do too. And in the worshiping context, yeah. then I, I sense that God gives me words. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, and so I'll write them down uh, at, the, at the back of my sermon. You'll often, <laughs> in my notebook, it'll often yeah. be a kind of, okay, possible words. Yeah. And I've written, scribbled them down at that point. But then when I deliver the sermon, um, as I as I pray for folk afterwards, it's very often I will, uh, if I sense words of knowledge coming, then I will actually just speak them out. But they've, they've come out of a process of, of careful prayer, reading of scripture, you know, the use of commentaries to understand the text, and then a real sense of worship of, okay, how, how is the Lord wanting to use this? Um, and the other context in which I use words of wisdom and knowledge is, is when I pray for folk. So... Um, so on last Sunday, uh, uh, seven o'clock service um, in in Goulburn, I was I was praying for I, I preached and I gave words of knowledge, and then we had a whole bunch of folk come for prayer, and I was praying with somebody else, and and I like it's like a tag team. I really like to pray with other folk, yes, because you kind of bounce out off each yes. other in terms of yeah. words and, and and all of that. So we were we were praying for folk and we were praying into the situations they were responding to to words of knowledge, but we were also speaking further words into their lives as we sense the Lord directing us and and at that point I think you know I, I, again I'm, I'm cautious but I also believe that sometimes these words that we speak when we pray for folk can be like little keys that unlock rooms mm. in their lives mm. and open doors True. for the work of the Holy Spirit to do something and I think that's a huge responsibility but also an immense privilege mm. um, and so for me that's a, a huge, hugely important aspect of of prayer ministry that we yeah. that the Lord gives us words for folk and it's not for ourselves it's, it's for them Jesus is glorified and and hopefully people are edified encouraged and their lives uh, potentially at least transformed into mm. some new thing that God has for them it's mm. wonderful thank you you're very welcome thank you for your wisdom yeah thank yeah you. yeah it's it's um you know it's so important I think that we reflect on what's happening and we talk about it and we tease out the wisdom principles 
about how to do this well because it's like this beautiful gift, this powerful gift that we've been given with Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. It's like how do I handle this in a way that's edifying and encouraging. So thank you so much for your time, for the privilege of spending some time with you over the last couple of days as well, Mark, and for all the work that you've done, all the unseen hours in hidden desk De- you know, the desk <laughs> right. offices. I yes. know that the life of an academic is not always um, very glamorous, shall we say, right. but um, others are coming after yeah. you. So yeah. thank you for pioneering. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Uh, it's a delight to be on your program. Yeah, and have fun with it. Hopefully you'll get to see some kangaroos tomorrow. Well, I weekend. hope so, yeah. I haven't seen a kangaroo yet, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like One to do that. Up. Thanks again, Mike. All right, thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.